This is the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Reading from chapter 14. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away into the villages to buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Well, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and he, taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven, and he said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves, and he gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. They took up the twelve baskets, full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides the women and the children. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Pray with me. God, we pray that you would attend to your word, that your Holy Spirit would come and it would move in power. Uh, make the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts pleasing to you. Holy God, come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. So, last week was a big week in our family. Uh, the wifey had a birthday on the 29th. Uh, it was a big one. Number 29 again, right? That's the forever young number. I'm looking for women's eyes on this one. That's correct, right? Guys, they know this a lot better than we. 29 it is. It's a big birthday for her and a big birthday in our house. Uh, and so what we do in our house for birthdays is we let the birthday uh, person set the menu, right? It's your day. So if we're going out, it's dealer's choice. And just like a woman after my own heart, she chose steaks. <laughs> I know, exciting, right? Um, uh, but she wanted an at-home feast. So steaks, sweet potatoes, and a salad, and a bottle of red, and, and I have my marching orders. Sounds like a great meal. It's a birthday meal, and so it's going to be made to perfection. I've got my sous chefs on the ready, 13, 11, and 8 are their ages, but we're ready and, and we're ready to go. We've got our five-star meal to prepare. And so we go to the butcher shop and we pick out the finest of ribeyes, uh, and they were, and we were off. Uh, now, what was surprising about this meal uh, was the steaks. They did something we weren't expecting. Uh, they tasted better than they looked, and they looked fine. They looked like Gordon Ramsay would be looking over my shoulder with his little half-smile smirk. You know, that one that, that he's not going to yell at you on, but he's going to praise you in front of everybody and say, that is the best-looking steak I've ever seen? That one. That's what we had. It was cooked to perfection. Uh, Am I bragging on myself? No, I'll get to that in a second. Uh, each bite really was perfection. It was almost like the heavens opened up and there was this heavenly glow on every single bite. Am I exaggerating? Not at all. The steak was that good. It's the best thing I've ever cooked or eaten. 
Now, if it's, this leads you to wrong places, uh, it was the meat. It wasn't the chef. Now, here is where I needed an education, and some of you all might judge me on this one, and I'm okay with that. I can take it. I did not understand the differences uh, between meats and the differences between the care and the process of meats, so I sought out a butcher, and I went to asking my questions. Why was this steak so much better than any other steak I've ever had in my entire life? What were the variables that were at play that made this steak so good? Why was it so tender, so juicy, so, so delicious? And uh, I need to know this because I don't want to eat any other steaks besides something like this from now on, right? Uh, short answer was not all meat is created equal. Didn't know that. A long answer was this. There are grades and processes to the preparation of the steaks that make them different. So when you get them from a butcher shop, there is a different care that they have from the grocery store. Now, no, this is not a commercial, but it's helpful information, but not a commercial. Uh, certain steaks are just better. There's a better way of tending the cattle, preparing the meat, and getting it into the hands of the customer. And when this is done well, it leaves you more satisfied. It leaves you more full. It leaves you feeling like you just had this heavenly taste, this feast uh, that you have never, ever had before. Now, uh, you thought maybe you've had a great steak before, but once you taste it, you, you definitely know the difference. It leaves you more satisfied. It leaves you more full. Are you with me? When you experience the real thing, the better way, it leaves you different. There's a wonder to it. Am I going over the top about a meal? I'll argue no, because I'd argue there is something holy and special about meals. Satisfied and full. Jesus fed the 5,000. In verse 20, it, it, it reads this. They ate they all ate and were satisfied. Other translations say this. They ate to their fill. They pushed away from the Thanksgiving feast. They were uh, with a full belly and a full heart because they were full. They were satisfied. But how did we get here? Uh, a couple things I want to note from Jump. Uh, and the first is about the humanity and the magnetism of Jesus. Let's start with the latter. The crowds, they followed him on foot from town to town. Wherever Jesus was, they could not get enough of him. Jesus got into a boat and he went into the middle of nowhere and the crowds were on foot. They chased him down. Now, I think sometimes we don't, we don't recognize the magnitude of Jesus and the scale of who he was and what he was during this time and this period. We don't understand this properly. There was no internet. There was no social media. There was no virality or no buzz about it that could be on the internet and go viral in hours. He was so magnetic that people talked. Crowds talked. Towns talked. Cities talked. Groups talked. Everyone talked. They wanted to get more of Jesus. There was a crowd of 5,000 plus that wanted to be wherever he was. And according to verse 21, by the way, that number didn't include women and children. 
Jesus was magnetic. He was a big deal. So if you have this boring, dull, square of a person in your head when you think of Jesus, you are not talking about the Jesus of the Bible. He was anything but dull. He was anything but boring. Jesus, there, he had a buzz to him back then. He knew how to draw a crowd, and the crowd will come into play in this story. And the second thing was his humanity. We talk about this often. Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. He was fully human and fully God. And he withdrew uh, by a boat privately, quickly. Why and where? And is the where significant? Well, why did Jesus withdraw? If you look earlier in chapter 14, Matthew records that John the Baptist's death happened. Uh, now, John had been dead for some time before this moment, but it's possible that Jesus had just heard about it and is grieving. John was his friend. He was family. And he just found out that John died. And it's potential that, that Jesus is grieving from the death of his dear friend. Now, it's also possible and likely uh, that Jesus withdrew because there's a rumor spreading about him. You'll see this in verse 1. Uh, we hear this from the lips of Herod the Tetrarch, that Jesus was somehow John risen from the dead. And so we see Jesus leave. Verse 13, it reads this. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew. Now, was it out of this fresh hearing of the death of his friend? Or was it from disappointment and frustration of a false narrative swirling about that made him want to get away, to get to this desolate place? Or was it some mixture of the two? And maybe the best answer here is yes. He needed to get away. The older I get, the more I'm okay with that answer. It was probably a mixture of the two. Well, uh, what about the where? Where did Jesus go? It says he went to a desolate place. This word shows up several times in the Gospels. To name a couple, uh, the desolate places, it talks about it in Matthew 4. At the temptation of Christ, where Jesus went to a desolate place, it talks about it as a desert or a wilderness where he was tempted by Satan. Also in, math, in Mark 1, verse 35, it says this, after a full day of Jesus doing ministry, that that very morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Solitary place, desolate place, wilderness. Same word in the Greek. Why? To pray. To connect with the Father, to be restored. Because he was tired, because he was grieving, Jesus here is withdrawing to a desolate place. Now Jesus, fully human, he knew loss and pain on a deeper level than we could ever imagine. He knew hard. He knew betrayal. He saw injustice and heartbreak. He knew death, loss, and disappointment more than we could ever imagine. He experienced the full scale of human emotion and the human condition. And so he goes to these solitary places, these wilderness moments. Jesus goes there to be reminded of who he was, to be reminded of his purpose, to connect with the Father, to know his place. Jesus needed to withdraw, so he does. This comes into play in this story. By the way, this in and of itself could be a whole sermon to talk about. But what I really want to focus on today is verse 14. What we find in that next line. What happens next? When Jesus landed, he saw the large crowd and it says he had compassion on them. And he healed their sick. Moved to compassion. A core of who God is and has always been. Jesus was moved by compassion. He might have been grieved, tired, and frustrated. 
even saddened, but the love he felt for the people that he saw when he landed compelled him to move toward them, to turn toward them in their need. Move to compassion. I listened to an author recently argued that the word compassion has lost its meaning for the Western world. Uh, one example they used, they were talking about a journalist used the word in the Netherlands, uh, and it was translated as pity. Uh, what comes to your mind when we think of the word pity? Uh, pity always sounded like a puny word to me. I never really liked it, except when it came out of the mouth of Mr. T. It didn't sound small at that point. Any A-teamers out there? Uh, T one time tried to check my cultural IQ on that one, gave a Mr. T reference, I passed. Uh, anyway, pity, it, it's a feeling. It's this sympathetic sorrow for one's suffering, according to Merriam-Webster, right? It's distressed or unhappy. You're feeling sorry for someone. But when God shows compassion, pity isn't the translation. It, it's too passive. It's too stale. I'm going to have to agree with the author here that if, if this is what comes to mind when we think of that, that Jesus showed compassion, then we don't have the right picture for what compassion means and what compassion means to the people of Israel and the people of God. We're missing out on one of the core character pieces of who God is. Compassion is so much more than that. It's one of the first words that is used uh, when, when Jesus reveals himself to Moses in Exodus 34, 6. It says this, Yahweh, the Lord, that's my name. I am the God of compassion and mercy. I'm slow to anger and filled with an unfailing love and faithfulness. A God of compassion, the first word to describe God. The word compassion for the Israelites uh, centered at the person's core. It was a person, uh, something that they were uh, at the core of themselves. It was, it was a deep emotion felt that stirred inside to the depths of them, talking uh, often uh, about it being in their gut, in their bowels, right? Think Lazarus. Uh, whenever Jesus calls Lazarus forth, it came forth from his bowels. He had such great, deep, deep love and compassion for his friend, for his people. Compassion, it is a movement towards action. That God would come and rescue his people. That he would come and heal his people. That he would come and mend uh, and tend to his people. That he would step in. When the Israelites were in exile, they cried out to God. And it says that God was compelled to compassion towards them. It, compelled to intervene. And then when the Israelites were wandering through the desert in the wilderness, yes, connect that word, wilderness, we see in Nehemiah from our first reading, and it reads this, but in your great compassion, Lord, you did not abandon Israel to die in the wilderness. He was moved to act. The pillar of cloud still led them forward by day, and the pillar of fire showed them the way by night. I'm hoping these words sound familiar to us. And then it reads that God provided for them a miracle in the wilderness. He filled them with the bread from heaven. Uh, this from Nehemiah, by the way. This isn't from Matthew. But I'm holding them together for a reason. God compelled by his great compassion, which is at the core of who he is. He moved towards his people, caring for his people, caring for their need in the wilderness. Food, water, clothing, health, because this is who our God is. Our gospel reading, it picks up with this same idea. Everyone hearing it would have had this as their backdrop. This is who the God of Israel is. 
Jesus, God's embodiment of compassion, withdrawing to a desolate place, to a wilderness. When he sees a crowd, a huge crowd, a great multitude, he's moved with compassion towards them. He begins healing their sick, restoring the lost sheep of Israel. Have you ever let your imagination go and be captured by this scene? I mean, it's getting dark. The disciples are probably looking back over their shoulders. They're seeing these huge crowds that are just uh, doing everything they can to get as close to Jesus as possible. Uh, They come to Jesus thinking, Jesus, you need to send them away. It's getting dark. We don't have the food to feed them. You've got to send them away. And Jesus says to him, no, 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 you feed them. And in another gospel, Philip says these words, Jesus, don't you realize that it would take a half a year's wage to even get all these people one single bite of bread? Jesus, send them away. We only have five loaves and, and two fish. And Jesus says, well, bring those to me. And he blesses them and he breaks them. And he gives them out to his disciples and they start passing them out to the people and he keeps breaking them and he keeps filling up the baskets and the baskets are filling up and it's multiplying and it keeps happening. The food in the hands of someone who knows what he is doing, who alone can satisfy Jesus. And it's, this is what it says in verse 20. And I love it. The people ate and here's the word and were satisfied. The disciples then picked up 12 baskets full. They had leftovers. Philip at one point said, hey, if if we take up a half a year's wage, we can only give them one bite. That moved to a place of, we have 12 basketfuls of leftovers, Jesus. They were full. They were satisfied. The people in Israel saw this connection. The provision from God, manna from heaven. Only God could provide this. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the son who moved with compassion to care for the needs of the people in this remote place, this wilderness, this desolate place where his disciples said it would be more loving and kind to send them away, Jesus, are in the middle of nowhere and he provides them food, sustenance to their satisfaction. Only God could do this. The people ate and were satisfied. Let's draw Nehemiah and Matthew together today. In Scripture, in the wilderness, it was this in-between place. Israel was in between, uh, Exodus, it was in between uh, them getting to the promised land. When Jesus was in the wilderness, it was an in-between place. He had just been baptized. He was about to start his public ministry. It was in this in-between. The wilderness in Scripture often is a metaphor for this in-between which is where we are right now on the timeline. We are in between. Christ came. When he first came, he started something. He started the kingdom of God at work. That was the beginning. That was the inauguration. We are in this middle. We're in between his first coming and his second coming. We're in this wilderness. We're waiting. We're longing. We're hoping. We're pointing to God coming again. We are in the middle of the acts of the apostles in Revelation. Jesus will come again. But right now, we're in this in between, waiting on Christ to come and set things to right. Now, here's where this comes home. Depending on our stories, who we are, what we've done, whatever expectations that we bring to the Lord, this idea hits differently. Because here we are in the wilderness. And maybe, maybe we're thinking that God just doesn't have time for us. Maybe we're thinking that 
everything that's going on inside of us and everything that's going on in our stories and everything that's going on in our circumstance, we're just too much for God. Maybe we feel unworthy. Maybe we don't feel important enough. Maybe we feel like we're too needy or there's too much that we're asking. Or maybe we feel like uh, we can just figure things out on our own. We can make things happen because God is too busy for us. Hear this. Jesus was moved by compassion. In the midst of grieving, in the midst of a frustration, in the midst of a pain, even Jesus there, born from the core of who he is and who he was and who he will forever be, Jesus had compassion on the 5,000 plus. How much more still then for you? Jesus, when talking about that one lost sheep, said it's worth his time to run after that one lost sheep. It's worth it to him. It's who he is. You are worth it to him and worthy to be made his beloved. Jesus moved by compassion, God's perfect image, bringing his kingdom, revealing his will. Jesus, the God of compassion and mercy, slow to anger Filled with unfailing love and faithfulness, Jesus, dying, rising, and reigning, Jesus, who alone can satisfy. Augustine famously said that our souls are restless until they rest in you, O Lord. John of the Cross speaks of these deep caverns of our soul whose depths can only be filled by this generous love of Christ. Jesus in the wilderness offers to feed us to our fill. He bids us come to sit and to eat at his table because he cares and only he can satisfy. We are cared for by the God of the universe, clothed, fed, restored. Eat and be satisfied, Jesus says to us today, says to us every day. This is a pattern. We celebrate this every week. Soon we're going to eat this meal together, this meal that feeds us with the very spiritual food of his body and blood, this meal which points to this great heavenly feast, this meal that we eat in the wilderness on this side of Christ coming back, this meal, this spiritual food that we so desperately need. We come to this table to be filled, uh, to be satisfied. Yet, yet, this just whets the appetite. This is just the appetizer. Because one day there was going to be this huge feast where the God of the universe is throwing this party and this meal and the food that he gives us, he will give for eternity and we will be truly satisfied and full. Not all meat is created equal. The God of the universe is going to feed us himself from his very own hands. God in his mercy, in his compassion, moves towards his people. He offers love. He offers himself in only a way that God could, in a way that makes us say, only God can feed us. Only God could do this. Only God could provide. Let's close with this final thought. God is remaking a people for himself. This also is the pattern. From the beginning, God called Abram to be a people set apart. God then fed them, and he delivered them, and he led them through the wilderness, cloud by day, fire by night. This is what God does. This is the spirit of God at work with his people. And then he charges them to be a blessing to the entire world. God then calls the church, the bride to himself. 
to be a people set apart, feeding us and leading us through the wilderness, leading us by his spirit that he puts in our souls, cloud by day, fire by the night. That is what we're talking about. The spirit of God dwells with the people of God. And then he charges the church to be a blessing to the entire world. But we can't give away what we don't possess. If we don't know God's compassion, we can't give away God's compassion. If we don't know God's love, we can't give away God's love. If we don't know where to get the spiritual food that satisfies to the deep and the core of who we are, then we can't give it away. But for Jesus, Christ feeds us. Christ is feeding us weekly, daily, minute by minute, and he is remaking a people for himself. He is forming us to look more like him, to feel more like him, to sound more like him, to love more like him, to smell more like him. And Christ's compassion then internally, it compels us to be a people that is different. Not all ways to find life are created equal. The life that Jesus offers us is different. The way of the kingdom is different, but only it can satisfy. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Do you believe that? This starts with you. This starts with me. This starts in our home. We have to intimately know this first and foremost, that only God can satisfy. Only he would. We have to know that first before we move out into our communities. We have to know that first before we move out into our neighborhood. We have to know that first before we move out into the world. But once we get that, God calls us to pick up the baskets full of life and substance, to give that away to the hungry, to give that away to the weary, to give that away that are looking for life and looking for fullness, but are settling for dessert. When you are the one who carries the meal of substance and sustenance, you carry the words of life with you. That's Jesus. We get to carry Jesus. We get to be fed by Jesus, and then we get to give Jesus away. And it's only in this place will we be made full and will we be satisfied. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you that you see that we are hungry, that we thirst for more in life, that we want more in life, that that we're looking for, for substance, we're looking for life, and, and, and it's at your table where we can find it. It's at your table where you restore us. It's at your table where we are fed with this spiritual food uh, that is full, that makes us alive to who you are and to what you're calling us into. God, thank you that you are a God that cares like that, that that is who you are, full of compassion, full of love. Jesus, may that sink deep in our souls this morning. And this week, in Jesus' name, amen.